Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. I am Ryan Drury. I'll be joined, as always, by Steve Sabrin and Clarkie. Great guests on the show, as always. Mike Ross, the PA announcer and in-house voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, will join us to talk about the passing of Leafs legend George Armstrong and his role with no fans in the building. We'll also chat with Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame Board of Directors member Cecil Wright on the passing of Hammer and Hank Henry Aaron, baseball losing a legend, and of course the Blue Jays. And as always, we will chat with our wagering expert Chris Abbott on World Series odds, and of course the Super Bowl just two weekends away. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury alongside Clarky and Steve Saverin, as always. Pleased to be joined by another great special guest. He is the voice you hear inside Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, the PA announcer of your Toronto Maple Leafs. It's Mike Ross. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you doing this. Uh, obviously, we wish that we were having you on the show for the first time under uh, not such somber circumstances for the franchise, of course, losing George Armstrong, legendary captain and multiple Stanley Cup winner. Uh, it's it's too bad that we ended up losing such a legend. It's always tough when this happens in sports. Just tell us a little bit about some of the dealings that you had with George and and what he meant to this franchise and its history. Uh, I think it's pretty clear just by the reaction on social media that uh, George Armstrong was a, a fan favorite, um, you know, was a big part of our uh, 100 in our 100th anniversary season. And uh, though I had limited uh, contact with George, um, the first time I, I got to meet him was during uh, one of the rookie tournaments uh, several years ago. I was working for NHL radio at the time and uh, was at the uh, rink in Oshawa where the tournament was uh, happening and the Maple Leafs were playing the Blackhawks. And so I was seated on the upper deck, um, you know, in the in one of the ends in the media seating. And I was the only person there and noticed that someone had taken the seat behind me, but I hadn't really paid much attention to to who was sitting there and then i started hearing some like i don't want to say chirping but like just commentary on what was going on on the ice and i turned around it was george armstrong and um i, I just what did i say i said you're george armstrong <laughs> <laughs> and i'm i'm really thankful that his you know retort wasn't yeah thanks you know or any you know anything like that like he he just knew i was just by the, that reaction, I was a fan. And I, so I introduced myself and we ended up watching that game, talking about that game and also comparing the game that we were watching to the style of, of hockey, to the style that he had played. And uh, it was just, it was just remarkable. And just sitting there for the better part, I think of like an hour uh, of just bending his ear and he answered every question I had and didn't make me feel like I was, you know, taking up his time, monopolizing his time at all. It, it really was great. And the other major interaction was when uh, my first home game as a PA announcer for the Maple Leafs, when all those honored numbers became retired numbers. And uh, George was one of the uh, one of those players that I got to introduce and, and announce the retirement of his jersey. 
remarkable, remarkable moment. Um, sadly, in the four years I've been there, there have uh, there have been other players who have passed away. And, you know, you think about uh, George being there uh, on on Johnny Bauer night, uh, remembering Johnny and 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 him being there for the uh, for the Bauer family. And uh, now it's uh, it's up to the rest of us to be there for the Armstrongs. Mike, I got to know George a little bit um, when I was working for Leafs TV, um, more specifically when I was doing all the behind the draft shows that I was involved with because he was a scout for the Maple Leafs and in all the meetings. Um, a couple of things that I remember about George is, um, first of all, he hated the microphone, did not <laughs> want to be around a mic, did never wanted to be interviewed. And I asked him why one day. I said, why? Like, why not? And he goes, I'm nervous. It makes me very nervous and I don't want to be nervous. Um, and I think it comes across as I don't, um, feel comfortable and he doesn't want to portray that. So I respected that and he was good. And I always joked around with him about, uh, say, Hey, you can do an interview with us. And he would tell me in not so certain words, but jokingly, um, no. Um, but it was fun banter with him. And that's what I remember the most about George. And I was actually uh, talking a little bit with a guy, you know, Mike, uh, Reed Mitchell this week, Reed is, uh, in charge of the uh, business operations, I guess you could say for the Leafs and uh, the scouting department. And he, he said it and I said it, he will be missed. He was one of the yeah. real, real good guys. And the things I remember is just how fun he was to be around. He will be certainly. Yeah. Missed, eh? Yeah. You know um, I was talking to uh, uh, my former co-host at uh, NHL radio, Mick Kern about mm -hmm. it the other day. And, and Mick said, you know, George Armstrong was a rascal. Because he's, he he said I used to run for the for the uh, media elevator after the games, and George would be in there, and he would purposely shut the doors on him, oh, yeah. and then and then open them and just sort of give him a little wink, and uh, and he said I mean that, that's that's George Armstrong right there yeah. right? talking to uh, Jimmy Holmstrom, the longtime organist yep. uh, of the Maple Leafs. I mean he uh, he and George were were really close and uh, spent a lot of time, uh, uh, especially in the Gardens years uh, after games at uh, at the Gardens, just you know sitting there shooting the breeze, and and I think that that's what I love most about all the stories I've heard um, and my experience with George is he just loved talking to people. He just loved talking hockey and maybe he didn't want to do it in front of a camera or with a microphone, but one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to beat any, any time you got to spend uh, with George and, and really so many of the players of that era, you know, they're just the great storytellers and they've got so many great stories to tell. You know, it's funny. Uh, I grew up in Simcoe, Ontario, and one of the big names uh, from that area is Red Kelly, uh, of course, on the team with George Armstrong. And um, it seemed to me that particular team in that era uh, really came together, not just as players, but as a family. And that kind of continued through the years. Yeah. And, and I mean, think about I think it was Fred Shiro. Who who has that quote? Something to the effect of, uh, you know, we we win tonight and we walk together forever. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of the embodiment of uh, of of championship teams, and uh, and that that era of Maple Leafs hockey. Um, you know, they were winners, and and some of them were some of them were underdogs, and and some you know were guys who. I think for a lot of people were past their prime and there's no way they should be winning the Stanley cup. And uh, I, I, I remember Eddie Shack telling the story about how, you know, 
right through all the years, he would still be ribbing Henri Richard because, you know, Montreal was so favored to win that cup in 67. He said so much so that at the Expo Pavilion uh, in, uh, in Montreal, they actually had a, a trophy case built for the Stanley Cup with the, with the Habs logo on it. And uh, he said, nothing gives him more pleasure than ribbing Henri Richard about, oh, you know, what happened to that cup, Henri? Ha ha, what happened? You know, and, and, and you, there's just something special about the teams of, of that era and, uh, and how the winning united them and, and kept them together through all the years. You know, I'd love to get uh, a guy like Gorge Telecon and talk about 1988-89 when John Brophy got fired and George Armstrong came mm-hmm. in as head coach because I cannot picture George as a head coach. I know he coached the Marlies for a few years before that, but he doesn't strike me as a guy who really wanted that job. And I don't think he did want it at the time, but he did it because he was part of that that fraternity and uh, helping out. But it must have been a pretty wild time. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean, it, 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 you're right. It, the times that I had with him, he just seemed like a pretty soft-spoken guy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and not not necessarily, especially when you're juxtaposing it against the John Brophy, uh, you know that personality and and, and that bombastic, um, yeah, didn't didn't really seem to fit. But you know, this was just another example of, and we saw it with Red Kelly um, when he stepped behind mm-hmm. the bench, just. Great Maple Leafs, Maple Leafs for life, and 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 you know for for lack of a better way of putting it, just good soldiers, right? The team needs me, and I'm I'm stepping up, and I'm I'm here for the team. I'm here for the Maple Leafs. And it shows how much of a family guy he was when the Leafs won the last Stanley Cup. I know it was a long time ago, Ryan. You don't have to remind me. But there's George at center ice taking the cup with his son next to him. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, and and. And that's why, you know, when I saw the patch that the Leafs mm-hmm. uh, have on their on their jerseys honoring uh, George, um, I, I just it really struck a chord with me. Like it, it they really did it right. And uh, and and I I know a ton of people. I had people reaching out, you know, friends in the United States, or hockey fans of completely mm-hmm. different teams, but they're saying we i need that patch i want that patch that's an amazing tribute uh to uh, to george armstrong yeah certainly and i mean it, it, it's sad to see him go he lived a great full life and he is one of those guys like you say and we talk about it on this show often being a sports show i mean any team in any sport you're gonna have good players come through but george armstrong was a mythical almost legend and it's not every day that you have people like that pass through your organization, no matter the sport. And it's, it's obviously sad when you lose them and you're right, Mike, that patch was uh, extremely classy, like everything that the Leafs do with their former players. And uh, it's, it's sad to see him go the last captain to lift the Stanley cup, hopefully for you, Clarkie and Leafs nation, another one gets lifted soon and uh, he'll look down on that proudly. I think Uh, Mike, I want to ask you a little bit about the atmosphere this season. Obviously there's no fans at Scotiabank, but You've still got a job to do, and it's uh, definitely interesting in the building. Tell us a bit about what it's like for you right now watching the action with no fans there. Well, uh, you know, we've, we've got a pretty good fraternity of, uh, of announcers around the NHL. And uh, we're, a lot of us are part of a, a, a Facebook group, and you know, we, we 
we chat once in a while. In fact, we've got a Zoom call book for tomorrow night. Uh, guys just wanting to sort of compare notes as to where things are at in, in each of our cities. And um, for a lot of them, it's it's been a major adjustment. Uh, not only that they're not with fans, but they're also not in their usual spot. So um, about half the announcers in the league uh, sit in the penalty box and announce from the penalty box. I'm upstairs. Uh, Maple Leafs announcers have always been upstairs, so it's no different for me. Nothing's really changed from that standpoint. Um, but uh, they're they're dealing with with watching a game now from a different uh, viewpoint and, and, and a different uh, vantage point in the arena. So they're having to deal with that and getting used to that. Um, my my advantage is kind of twofold. Uh, number one, I I didn't have to move geographically. Uh, I'm in my same booth that I'm always I've always been in, um, but I also went through announcing through the summer and the the playing round and then the uh, uh, two rounds of the of this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So I've been through the that routine of announcing to what's essentially an empty building, and so you know I got into the this regular season and it was pretty much just picking up where I left off in August. If I'm being completely honest about how it felt back in the summer, the first game, game and a half definitely felt weird. Um, the first home game for the Leafs <clears throat> was, was odd because you're so used to connecting with the fans. You know, that that's the audience. You're part of what I'm doing is, is trying to get a, a bit of a charge out of uh, the crowd, but I'm also feeding off that energy for, for my announcements. So, you know, the first time that you, you welcome a team out onto the ice and there's nobody there to hear it, it was a little awkward. And then announcing goals. So the penalties is no big deal, but the goals mm-hmm. uh, announcing that to, to, um, the piped in crowd noise was awkward. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But I soon realized that really deep down, I'd done that before because when I was starting out as an announcer in Ottawa, I did AAA baseball in the months of April and May when there might have been 40 people in the stadium because it was so cold that people weren't coming out to ball games in April. So I've announced to a near empty stadium before. And once I got sort of over that initial awkwardness and really sort of fed off the fact that the reason I'm there, the reason the DJ's there, the organists are there, the, the video graphics are, are happening. Mm-hmm. It's all about giving the players as much normalcy as we can. And you guys know, they're creatures of habit, right? There are things that they're used to hearing, things that they're used to seeing, cues that they're used to having. And it's just about making it comfortable and familiar for them. Um, so that's why when we started this regular season, it was super easy for me to to start it up because I'd had that experience over the summer. Hey, Mike, um, you know, you should be honored. And I, I know you are to be 
Like it's Paul Morris, it, it's um, Andy Frost, and it's Mike Ross. Like that's pretty cool. Um, tell me about this the process. How did you get the job? Uh, I'm sure there was some announcing in an empty arena when you had to do some tryouts for it. But what was the process like, and how long did it take? Um, from the day I got invited to audition to the day I got the call telling me I had the job uh, was about a month and a half. Easily the longest month and a half in my life. Tell me about it. Um, and and the 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 week between. See the way it worked was there was the initial in arena audition, and uh, I think there was like 20, 22 people that were invited to to audition, and they recorded everybody, mm. and um, then what they, they they took that and they cut that group down to five. And then they cut that down to two, and the final two, um, we got a a one-on-one interview with Brendan Shanahan, um, Shannon Hosford from MLSE, and Anton Wright, who's our game presentation uh, uh, director. And that was like a a Friday afternoon corner office uh, job interview. And then it was about eight days from that and and those eight days i was on vacation i i don't think i ever put my phone down that whole week like i never checked my phone that often as i did uh, as i did that week you know it's it's always uh, a good feeling when you get ready for that game right you got all your lineups ready to go and you're walking into the booth sitting in front of that mic and you got the atmosphere going uh it's a huge part of the game um, however, it does come with its challenges. Uh, what what are some of the names that you at first going, oh, no, he's on the ice. <laughs> I better get ready. Yeah. You know, once they're on the ice, isn't the challenge that I mean, that goes back to, you know, the guys who came before me. I think of guys like Andy Frost. I think of guys like Paul Morris. I think of some of the other announcers that have sort of had an influence on me over the years it was always important to get it right. And, and it's something that I try to live up to every game. Absolutely. And that is one of the bigger challenges, certainly in doing play by play like Steve and I do. And Clarkie does as well from time to time, you just got to have the name, right. And it's just always best when you get it right from the horse's mouth, the player tells you, how does Graham and grandpa say it at Thanksgiving? Just tell me how to say it. And that's how I'll say it. So well, think about, uh, think about when John Tavares came to, uh, to oh, us. Oh God. Yeah. So, Tavares. Tavares. Right? And, and for doing? years, all my friends at the Islanders were telling me Taver, air, air. And so we asked him, is it Tavares or Tavares? And he said, it doesn't matter. And I said, no, well, it does matter. <laughs> because if I say it one way, and Joe Bowen says it another way. And the guys on hockey night say it another way. I said, somebody's at least two of us are getting it wrong. So I said, how do you want it? How does he want it said? So the question was put to him, how would your grandfather pronounce it? And he said, Tavares. And he says, that's the Portuguese way. It's Tavares. So that's what we went with. And that's what we've stuck with. And, uh, and, and that's to me, that that's key. Um, again, getting it right. And you run into that every once in a while player will tell you, Oh, I don't care. You know, I remember, uh, uh, we had par pair Lindholm 
par or pair. And, you know, he, he even, even after I'd been told, here's how we say it, because that's the Swedish way he was asked. And he said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it does. It really does matter. It matters to me. So it's, it's, it does indeed. Absolutely. It's a huge aspect. Uh, Mike, we really appreciate you doing this. Hey, hold on. Hold on, Ryan, Ryan. I just have one other request. Yep. Go ahead. I know I'll never get to be like David Ayers. I know that for a fact. But like if I was the goalie, if I was number 29 and I actually flipped the puck and shot it down into the net for the Leafs, can you just call like 29? Can you do that for me? Maple Leafs goal, his first in the National Hockey League, scored by number 29, Chris Clark. Time of the goal, 5.05. Clark at 5.05. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. You know what? It, it would have been a lot it. better if you gave him a slashing penalty, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> More accurate for sure. Unsportsmanlike conduct. Awesome. Unbelievable. <laughs> Mike Ross, he is the PA announcer, the voice you hear inside Scotiabank Arena for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We really appreciate you doing this, buddy. Uh, you're definitely a friend of the show from now on, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Thanks so much for doing this. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Anytime. All right. We'll be right back here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. Got to talk about the Blue Jays, another big signing and the passing of a baseball legend. Coming up next, stay tuned. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you as always by CoolBet.co, Ryan Drury, alongside Clarkie and Steve Sabrin. Thanks to our buddy Mike Ross, the PA announcer of the Toronto Maple Leafs, for joining us. We're now joined by another great special guest, baseball historian Cecil Wright, who is on the board of directors for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame over in St. Mary's. Cecil, how are you this evening? I'm great. Uh, If I had known this was going to be real fancy, I would have put on my fancy shirt. Your shirt's perfectly fine, buddy. Maybe you can go dig out a Red Sox shirt for the end of the segment. Oh, Um, my goodness. Stinging me already. Yeah, I had to throw a barb in. Uh, Cecil, obviously, before we talk about the Jays and all the exciting things that are going on there and really the AL East in general, uh, baseball and the sports world losing an all-time great legend uh, over this past weekend. Of course, Hammer and Hank Aaron, who was for a long time, and many still consider him to be the home run king. Talk a little bit about his significance, of course, to the sport and and really what he meant, you know, to African-Americans, African-Canadians all over who love this sport um, just as an icon and a prolific, almost mythical figure. Well, you know, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Steve and Clarky, two good friends of mine. Um, I was born here in uh, Halifax, but I moved to Boston when I was six. So when I began my love affair with the sport of baseball, uh, I wanted to uh, um, emulate all the Red Sox players, you know, the white ones as well as the black players, the few black players that the Red Sox had. Um, And uh, my father got me involved in Little League Baseball as a way of making friends and, you know, stop getting in fights at school. I was in like fourth grade. I wasn't really picking on anybody, but of course I was the new guy. And I was the black guy. So all the tough guys were, they were just lined up on the playground waiting for me to get there in the morning. Uh, So I went home one day after school. I said to my father, you know, I am not going back to that school and you can't make me. 
the the boys there are just idiots. All they want to do is fight. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, you know? So he said, I get just the thing that's going to fix that. You're going to try out for little league baseball. I'm like, no, nah, bad idea. It's not going to work. He said, as soon as those guys see how you can throw that ball, they're all going to want you on their team. So I go reluctantly to these tryouts uh, and get selected to play for the Giants. So I was upset at that because I wanted to play for the Red Sox. So I come home, tell my father, yeah, I got to got picked by the old stupid Giants. He goes, the Giants, they got one of the best players, one of the two best players in baseball. Willie Mays plays for the Giants, and Hank Aaron plays for the Braves. Wait till you see them. So now I'm all excited, and I have to see Hank Aaron and Willie Mays play. And when I did, they became my baseball heroes. Those two and Roberto Clemente, God rest his soul, uh, were just – I mean, Henry Aaron could do anything. People don't even know. He won three gold gloves, you know. I mean, it's not like he just stood there and cranked home runs. He also, I mean, I think he was at the age of 31, he had 28 stolen bases. He was an all-around player in the same mold as Clemente and Mays. And one of my greatest thrills was seeing Henry Aaron in the starting all-star outfield National League beside Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente. Now, I don't think there's ever been a better all-star outfield than that. So, Sorry, go ahead. So when you talk about the significance that Henry Aaron had on like young black guys in the United States, I would say it was humongous, uh, probably more than anybody, at least any person of color uh, in Major League Baseball history, in my in my mind, anyway. Cecil, we all remember the Hank Aaron uh, record-breaking home run when he's rounding the bag uh, with with a Braves fan beside him. Um, what are some of the other memories that you remember uh, growing up watching him? Well, I saw him. I didn't see him play live, but of course, you know, we had uh, the Saturday, the baseball game of the week. Mm-hmm. And because he was such a gigantic player in, in, the, in the league, the National League at that time when he was with Atlanta, uh, the Braves were often on uh, on the East Coast. So I get to see a lot of his games. And, of course, everything came to a stop. You know, just like, just like for you, when the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing, you know, it's like, don't bother me. I'm busy for the next three hours. Yep. Well, that's, the way, that's the way it was. When Henry Aaron was playing, everybody, every person of color stopped what they did. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, everything just came to an end. So you could watch this, man. Because you didn't know what he was going to do. And Henry Aaron was a guy who would hit the ball where the ball was pitched. Everybody thinks that he was a slugger, and he was. But he also, I mean, the guy had a lifetime betting average of 305. Uh, You know, if the pitcher was going to pitch him down and away with two outs and a runner on second base, he would just pop the ball through the the hole at first, between first and second base, a little base hit in the right field to get the runner in. That's why he leads the world in RBIs, because – he was he he wasn't so rigid um, that he would just try to pull the ball and hit home runs. He would do what needed to be done at the time, and that's why I admire him so much. You know, see, so there's been a lot of talk about you know the debate about what his best record was, whether it was the consecutive seasons of hitting 20 home runs or his RBI total or what you know breaking the home run record. Um, but one of the things that he did do was carry on in such a professional manner um, in the midst of all that was going on off the field. Yeah. 
he and his family received unbelievably disparaging pieces of mail, death threats. Um, uh, they had to have security for him on the road, special security, you know, when he was going to hotels and restaurants, wherever he went. And I mean, you can just imagine the stress and duress that a person would be under trying to play under those circumstances, not only trying to play, but still excelling, you know, in his, at his chosen craft. I mean, it's just a phenomenal story of perseverance by a guy who I still don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I, I just don't think he does. Uh, I, I think, you know, like I, I think about this foolishness with uh, Kurt Schilling, you know, not getting selected to the Hall of Fame there a few days ago and acting like a, a, a fifth grader about, oh, well, I don't even want to be, you know, take me off the list. You know, I mean, shut up. You played the game that most of us would give our right arm to play. And here you are, you know, just a few votes away from being selected, and when he didn't get it to go his way, he cried like a little baby. Henry Aaron just would face it head on and say, well, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, they either put me in or they don't. It's not going to ruin my day either way. So I, I think he was just a great man who had uh, so much character and, and dignity about him that uh, we can all take a note from him. You know, it's funny because the uh, the one thing, too, when you put Henry Aaron against some of the other big names uh, like a Reggie Jackson or a um, uh, Willie Mays, out of all of them, Heron was probably the most humblest. And Absolutely. That, I don't want to say it hurt him, but maybe didn't get the attention from someone who was a little more, I guess, uh, a little more loud in the public eye. And braggadocious like uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. October. Reggie Jackson wished he hit 305, never mind had it for a career average. But no, you're right. Uh, Henry Aaron was a very humble man who, uh, you know, I mean, he came from the deep south Mobile, Alabama. So, you know what he had to go through, you know, the, uh, the in the early years of his life uh, with Jim Crow laws and all that stuff down there. But yeah, he was he was quiet. He was soft spoken. But when he did speak, you know, he had a message that he wanted to deliver. And, uh, you know, he was the kind of man that when he when he spoke, people took note of what he said. And uh, he lived a great life. And uh, I know that he would want to be remembered uh, as a simple man who just played the game he loved and was good at it. That's it. You know, yes, um, certainly oh, go sorry. ahead, Clarky. I was just going to say he's got some Canadian connections when you look at it. He was the honorary captain for the National League uh, in mm -hmm. the 1991 All-Star game that was played in Toronto. He uh, roomed with Cito Gaston, the Blue yeah. Jay manager back in the 67. But then he also got the face, obviously, one of Canada's best, Fergie Jenkins. And I think Fergie struck him out 15 times. That must have been fun to watch those two guys go out today. Listen, Fergie, and uh, they had a little personal thing, you know, uh, where – you know, Fergie wasn't afraid to hit somebody, you know, once or twice if they crowded the plate. Uh, and Aaron didn't necessarily crowd the plate, but Fergie just wanted him to know, you know, don't get too comfortable because I know you're Henry Aaron and everything, but I got a job to do too. And uh, he hit him a couple of times, but uh, Henry Aaron uh, always kind of laughs it off and said, hey, that's an easy, easy way for me to get on base. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think there was any animosity between the two of them at all. It was just two complete professionals trying to do what they needed to do to win. 
Yeah. And Cecil, like you said, he handled all of the animosity and really no other way to say it's sickening racism that he dealt with throughout his career with unbelievable grace and courage. And, you know, talk about all the records. I mean, this is a guy who was the home run King for a long time. Many people still consider him that never hit 50 in a season. Uh, I do as well. I mean, respect to Barry Bonds. He got there illegally in my opinion. Um, you know, I don't think he ever hit under 300 in a season. I mean, incredible records. But the thing that's most admirable to me, a guy that never got to watch him play, just heard stories from my grandfather who always loved him, um, is just the amount of courage that this guy had. Unbelievable, the amount of death threats. The post office in Atlanta, you've been reading the stories over the last week. They would dump off mailbags full of thousands of letters, most of them death threats, um, especially when he got close to Babe Ruth's record at the time. Um, And it's sad because I don't think a lot of people today have the grasp on a celebrity, which he was, not being able to enjoy being a celebrity and i think it's poignant we're talking about this recording this show on bell let's talk day an incredibly important day in in mental health the strain this guy must have been under and to handle it as well as he did is unbelievably incredible and i really hope the world looks back on his legacy and we all come together and ensure that somebody like him is celebrated while he's doing it and something like that never happens again cecil you know, that's an excellent point, and I'm going to add something to that. Um, I, I can't prove this. I have to go back and look at old film, but I once read an article. Uh, I think it was in the Atlanta Constitution. Is that the name of the paper? Mm-hmm. Journal I Constitution. Yeah. yeah, and they said that several of the white players that were on the Atlanta Braves at the time would not go down to the same part of the dugout as Henry Aaron. The reason why? because they didn't want to get caught in the fire in case somebody tried to take Mr. Aaron out. Now, for that to happen, you can just imagine what was going on in the mind of Henry Aaron. Did he even want to go up to bat, you know, in a circumstance like that? And if he didn't, if he ever bailed out of a game, would anybody have blamed him? I don't think so, but he never did. Uh, He never folded the tent in the face of, like you said, uh, unbelievable racism. Uh, and, and that's another point that I think uh, uh, should be made to the youngsters who don't know enough about uh, um, history, uh, which baseball, of course, in the United States is an enormous part of. Uh, where, where I mean, Henry Aaron started off playing in the Negro Leagues. He didn't even start off playing in the major leagues. And, and you know, the three of us uh, were alive to see him play uh, so there's a link back to those unbelievably denigrating historical times that we wish never took place, but actually did. I don't think we should ignore it. I think we need to let the younger people know that this is how it was. Uh, it was wrong. So that's why it's not that way anymore. And somebody like Henry Aaron was able to teach some of the, you know, the Southern whites that I'm a man just like you, you know, no different. I'm not asking for any more. I just want to play a game and maybe make you smile if I hit a home run. Absolutely right. Uh, Well said, Cecil. And uh, Hammer and Hank will be sore 
sorely missed uh, an all-time great player, even better man. Uh, Cecil, let's talk a little bit about the Blue Jays. I mean, fans up here are very excited. Of course, George Springer signs the biggest free agent deal in team history, and now they have pilfered one of my favorite players from my Oakland Athletics, Marcus Semien, joining up. Probably will play shortstop, might shift to second or third. They've got options with him. What are your opinions on what the Jays have done so far, also getting the pitcher mats from the Mets. Boy, have they done some heavy lifting. Listen, don't forget Kirby Yates. That's right. Uh, to me, the biggest weakness on the Jays last year was their bullpen. Uh, now Kirby Yates is a guy who's going to help out, as will Tyler Chatwood. Tyler Chatwood's not a guy who's going to be a household name or is going to you know make the all-star team. But what he's going to do is he's going to go out there, he's going to strike out a batter, maybe two an inning, uh, for an inning or two per game. I mean, this is a guy who can throw the ball fairly well. I really like what Toronto – I can't believe I'm saying this. If any of my Boston fans ever hear me say it, I'm going to deny it. Uh, but I really like what the Blue Jays have done in the offseason. I, I like – first of all, i got to say with Ryu from last year when they got him, uh, and, and this young Nate Pearson guy, if he can ever harness his control, uh, he's going to be someone special. So, you know, you throw him in there with Robbie Ray and, and Steven Matz and Ross Stripling, and you've got five guys who can go out there any day and do the job for you. As far as Simeon, by the way, I think he's going to play second. I think Bo Bichette's going to stay at short. Right. So does can Vladdy play first? Yeah, he's going to play first, and uh, Biggio will play third. Yeah. Uh, Vladdy, Vladdy's less likely to hurt himself at first. First yeah. place. <laughs> hey, he's working out. He's in shape now. Come on. Yeah. We, yeah. We saw the what's, videos. He down, what's he down to 250? Yeah, about that. I That's think okay. so. Yeah. Somebody had him listed at 242. That's optimistic. <laughs> That's I 250. Yeah. Hey, I'd love yeah. to ask you about your Boston Red Sox, but I don't want to I don't want to have you cry. So I'm gonna ask you about a former <laughs> Boston Red Sox. And that is um you mentioned him earlier, Kurt Schilling, and what's going on with him. Like he just seems like a big baby to me. And uh. My question, though, is do you think the voters have the right not to vote someone in because they don't like a guy? You know, I'm on the fence a little bit. Personally, if I had a vote, uh, Schilling probably would get in based off of his playing career and his playing career alone. Mm -hmm. uh, however, having said that, a lot of the voters, as you guys know, are sports writers. Mm -hmm. uh, they have axes to grind with certain players. I mean, they have, that's that's the truth, like it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kurt Schilling is a guy who, ever since he got out of the game of baseball, he's done several boneheaded, stupid things. Mm -hmm. He said some crazy things. He uh, he ripped off the state of Rhode Island for like twenty million dollars or something in this foolish gaming business that he got involved in. And then he, you know, he pretty much told them off when they didn't give him another loan. I mean, you wasted twenty million dollars and. What'd you, what'd you do with the money you earned over your playing career, you know, is what I'm sure the governor of Rhode Island said. Uh, and then now, you know, where he didn't get elected and he just, you know, sent off this nasty email and uh, he did a Facebook Live thing where he was cursing and swearing. I mean, he just, you know, and now he's saying, take me off the list. I don't even want to put my name forward. But I, I don't think he can do it. I think Major League Baseball will still mm -hmm. give the Veterans Committee the opportunity to induct him. But they may not even do it now, you know, where he's gone off the deep end. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, good luck yeah. to you, Kurt. But I, I do want to say this in his defense. 
I, I'm hearing that his wife is having some pretty bad health issues. Uh, I think a, a cancer has returned. So he's probably under a lot of stress. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that as an excuse, uh, mm -hmm. just a point. I just I, I hear a guy like Shai Davidi uh, on Sportsnet uh, yesterday. I think he, he was saying that he doesn't want to give the platform to a Trump loving guy. Um, I have a problem with that. Like, I, you know, like, I don't think you can take that into account when you're voting a guy into the Hall of Fame or not. It's on, his, it's on his playing career to me. Right. Um, you, can, you can be a complete boob outside yep. of the, the, the lines, but I care about what you did inside the lines. And I mm -hmm. think that, that uh, Major League Baseball would be better served if that was the case yeah. with all the sports writers. Yeah. Well, and that's where, when you, you have to look at the situation, because if, if you were, if, you're talking about that with players. Well, you're going to lose a lot a of lot. history on the Hall of Fame, a lot. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a tough issue, but based on what the criteria is now, if you want to change the criteria, then that's a different story. Mm -hmm. but based on what the criteria is now, and with Kurt Schilling's interest uh, situation, it's different than the Clemens and Bonds and Rose because they did something that directly affected the sport of baseball. Yeah. Right. So Schilling uh, didn't. Schilling didn't do anything illegal right. or untoward while pitching for the Phillies or the Red Sox. He mm -hmm. didn't do anything crazy. Or the Diamondbacks. Or the Diamondbacks. That's right. I keep forgetting <laughs> about them. Yeah. Um, but he, he you know what he, what he has said since he left the game should not be held against him in voting, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I think many fans agree with you, Cecil. And and yeah, I, I don't know that having wild political opinions should withhold you from something that should be celebrated in terms of your ability on a baseball diamond. But it's uh, it's an interesting quandary that Cooperstown has on their hands for sure. Uh, Cecil, we really appreciate you doing this. Uh, this was great. Friend of the show. We definitely love to have you back throughout the baseball season. Sorry about the state the Red Sox are in. I know you wish Mookie Betts was still there. Oh. That, that, I want to ask you real quick, Cecil, because I have a friend who loves all the Boston major sports teams, Celtics, Patriots, all of it. And he said to me the other day, we were talking about this, that the Mookie Betts trade is by far the worst trade in Boston professional sports history. Would you agree with that? No. No. Well, Steve says no. I, I say yes. I, I, will, I will say this. I love Alex Verdugo, mm. uh, the outfielder that they got from the Dodgers uh, in return for Mookie. Uh, Mookie goes to the Dodgers in uh, year one. They win the World Series. The Red Sox have the worst record <laughs> in the American League East. Uh, what's that type? Uh, as far as being the worst, I will say no. I'm going to say that the worst, you guys aren't even going to remember this guy. The worst trade the Red Sox ever made was Cecil Cooper and Ben Ogilvie for a washed-up George Scott. All Cecil Cooper went on to do was lead the league in RBIs with uh, Milwaukee for about six straight years. Uh, and Ben Ogilvy hit like 40 homers for two or three years in a row while George Scott had one good year and flamed out. So to me, uh, Cecil Cooper and Ben Ogilvy for George Scott was the one that I hate the most. Although it's like one a and one B. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, you had to bring up, but you had to, uh, that wasn't even a trade as far as I'm concerned. That was a sale. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, they they kind of uh, cheaped out and it cursed them for a while. I I think they'll turn it around. I don't think they're very far off at turning things around for you, Cecil. We really appreciate you doing this, Cecil Wright, Board of Directors of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. We really appreciate this, buddy. Thank you. You got to promise that I'll be back. You will absolutely be back, my friend. Absolutely. Cecil Wright, everybody. All right, we'll take one last quick break. When we come back, we will be joined, as always, by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. To wrap things up for the week, Ryan Drury alongside Clarky and Steve Sabrin. We really appreciate our guests this week. PA announcer for the Maple Leafs, Mike Ross, and of course, Cecil Wright, who is on the board of directors for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. We are pleased to be joined by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Chris, how are you, buddy? I am very good, guys. Hope you're doing well, and I'm so happy to see that you had Cecil on. I don't know if you guys got into it, but he and I used to work together in Halifax. I was the play-by-play guy, and he was the color commentator, and we've done like hundreds of games together. Yeah, it's so cool that we're both on the same show tonight. It's pretty awesome. He was a beauty. What a great segment that we did with Cecil. He will be back on the show absolutely throughout the baseball season. Uh, We'll get to baseball and some World Series odds. Jay's moving and shaking. Marcus Simeon in the mix. Steven Matz joins the team. But really quick, Super Bowl, it's around the corner. We are just two weekends away from the big game. And it's old Tommy Brady going back to his 10th Super Bowl against the young phenom Pat Mahomes looking for title number two. Who do you like in the big game? And are you taking the over the under? What what are some lines you're looking at? Man, I don't know. I've been chasing the NHL around all week, so I haven't gotten too deep into the Super Bowl yet. But I will say that it's a really tough game to choose. Uh, you know, how do you bet against Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense right now? But how do you bet against Tom Brady as a home underdog in the Super Bowl where he's been, you know, 10 times? Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do. The line is uh, three and a half points for the chiefs. So maybe you take the bucks and hope for a close game. Um, I, you know, Tampa Bay's defense really, really showed up the last couple of weeks. I, I thought green Bay, we, we all did, right. We thought green Bay was going to feast on them and, and it didn't happen. So I've got a, I've got a new respect for this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And I don't know, man. I might just uh, guess the coin toss and the and the Gatorade color and sit back and enjoy the snacks. I, I I'll have a better answer for you next week, maybe. But as of right now, I really don't know. Yeah, we can tell us a lot, especially with the Mahomes situation and the turf toe. Um, the the dynamics that Kansas City brings, of course, with Kelsey and Hill. But Chris, you're right. The speed of the Tampa Bay defense, I think, is going to be the key. Either way, they're either going to get to Mahomes or they're not going to. Like they pressured Breeze, they pressured um, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, trying to catch to Mahomes may be a different story, but that linebacking middle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their speed, I think, will be uh, the, the telltale all uh, through the Super Bowl. So yeah, I think, sorry, ahead, sorry Ryan. Yeah, I think, Steve, you're on to something there. Like, I think this game, it might be better to bet some props. Like, I think you'll get a decent price on Patrick Mahomes to throw an interception. I mean, they picked off Breeze. They picked off Rodgers. Mahomes is, definitely has some risky throws in his arsenal. So I'd have Tampa Bay to pick off Patrick Mahomes. You'll probably get a decent price on that. So that would be one bet that I'd be looking to make for sure. Yeah, that Tampa Bay secondary, they come up with big plays. They allow plenty of yards sometimes, but they always come up with big clutch plays. It's going to be a great Super Bowl. World Series, 
the odds early on here before the season starts. I mean, the Jays are making a lot of noise. I mean, maybe the Padres are the only team that have made more noise than the Jays this offseason. What are some of the early lines on World Series odds, Mr. Abbott? Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as I can remember, uh, I'm 38, I'll be 39 this year in my lifetime. This seems to be the most active uh, free agent period for the Toronto Blue Jays when they're normally not. Um, Clarky, Steve, you guys are a little bit older. You might remember some, uh, you might remember some years that I, that I was still like a toddler or whatever, but, uh, it's great, man, to bring it like George Springer's all world. Anyway, to answer your question, Toronto is 22 to one right now to win the world series. I think when we first opened the odds, they were more like 35 to one. Um, the Dodgers are the favorite at five and a half Yankees at seven Padres at eight Mets at 10. Um, but when was the last time the Toronto Blue Jays had lower odds than the Houston Astros uh, to win the World Series? I, I don't know, but they do this year. Bang on some garbage incredible. cans. <laughs> Bang away. Listen, hey. it, I, I hope George brings a few 22-gallon ones with him. I don't care. Let's get it done. We appreciate you guys listening to and watching the show. Of course, you can listen to us Friday nights just after 6 p.m on CKNX AM 920, except when the Leafs play at 7. We will be on at 5.30 leading into Leafs pregame. Of course, all Maple Leaf games live this year on CKNX AM 920, where you can catch Joe Bowen, our buddy on the show here. Of course, you can find us on all the best podcast apps. You can watch us Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 on Whiteman TV. We are on YouTube as well, where you can find us on Friday nights just after 9 o'clock streaming there. We appreciate our wagering expert, Chris Abbott, for joining us. I am Ryan Drury. He is Clarky. He is Steve Sabrin. We really appreciate you listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co.